Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Blog Talk Radio listeners. I'm Evangelist Wanda Clay, sharing God's sacred word Bible study with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all you do. And though our best isn't good enough, we come asking for forgiveness. You are like none others, higher than the highest. So I ask that you fix that that needs fixing everywhere for everybody. Because you already know our needs, fix them, Lord Jesus. And move in me, Lord, to help others understand your word on this talk show. I pray that you continue its growth and bless Brock Talk Radio financially and spiritually. Lord God, give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of what you want us to know. And I pray for those who seek your word to find you, Heavenly Father. Bless and watch over them in Jesus' name. Let them and everyone everywhere learn to depend on you. And those who have found you, strengthen us, Lord. And guide us not into temptation, but help us to just walk away. And bless those, Lord, who are struggling and those not struggling. Because we need a blessing from you, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Before I start, let me again thank God for guiding me, and I pray for everyone's understanding of his word. And as always, I thank Minister Joel Lewis and Granny's Place for giving me this opportunity. I'm here three Fridays a month. 8 to 8.30 a.m. Plus, on Facebook, at Peace Keep God First, first written 1 XT time on Blog Talk Radio, I will give you the outline of each chapter and comment on some verses. Now, let's get into our lesson. Our lesson comes from Philippians. Chapter 2. The outline of Philippians chapter 2 is as follows that the apostle proceeds with future exhortations to several duties and lowly minded, which he presses from the examples of Christ, verses 1 through 11. The second part of the chapter speaks of being diligent and serious. In our Christian course, verse 12 and verse 13. The third part is about our Christian profession with several suitable graces, verses 14 through 18. A commendation of two good ministers, Timothy and Ephrodites, whom he designed to send to them. And Verses 19 through 30. Now back to our lesson. In verses 1 through 11, Paul strongly urges them to be like-minded and lowly-minded, being like of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great pattern of humility and love, which has always been the great gospel precept passed on to us as to love one another. He says, love and you should be loved, being on one accord, 
and of one mind, not crossing with separate interests, but agreeing in the great things of God and keeping the unity of spirit in verse 2. So Paul gives them five principles for brotherly love. One, he says that we must love each other, that the sweetness that we found in the doctrine of Christ should sweeten our spirit, Hebrews 6 and 18. The second to be like-minded, if there is any comfort in Christian love or in God's love to you or in your love to God or in your brethren's love for us, believe the grace of love is a comfortable grace and that we should abound in it. The third principle that Paul talks about is the fellowship of the Spirit. And he says, communication with God in Christ and the communication of saints by the Spirit should be one and the same saint. Being ye like-minded for Christian love, and that being like-minded will preserve our communion with God and with one another. But if you expect the benefit of God's compassion to be compassionate to one another. Number five, another argument that he insinuates is the comfort that it would bring to him. And Paul says that it is the joy of ministers to see people like-minded and living in love. And if you have found any benefit by my participation of the gospel of Christ, and if you have any comfort in it or advantage by it, fulfill the joy of your poor ministry who has been instrumental in bringing you to the grace of Christ and the love of God who preached the gospel to you. And he tells them also, there is no greater enemy to Christian love than pride and passion. And to do nothing through strife and vain glory and if we do things in contradiction to our brethren, this is doing them through strife. And if we do them through pretense of ourselves, this is doing it through vain glory. And he says that both are destructive of Christian love and it kindles unchristian hearts. He says that Christ came to humble us, and therefore let there be none among us with the spirit of pride. Paul says that we must love our neighbors as ourselves and makes his busy bodies and other people's business, but in Christian love and sympathy. If we have not the spirit of Christ, we are none of him. And he says that we must walk in the same spirit and the same steps with the Lord Jesus who humbled himself to suffering and death for us, not only to satisfy God's justice and pay the price of our redemption, but to set us as an example that others may follow his steps. Verse 5 and Romans 8 and 9. Now he gives us two natures and two states of our Lord Jesus. These are the two natures of Christ, his divine nature and his human nature. Paul speaks of his divine nature being in the form of God, partaking of the divine nature 
as the eternal and only begotten Son of God. So Jesus thought it was no robber to be equal with God. He didn't think himself guilty of any invasion of what did not belong to him or assuming another person's right. He said, a one. But know this, it is the highest degree of robbery for any mere man or mere creature to pretend to be equal with God or to profess himself one with the Father. This is for a man to rob God, not in tithes and offerings, but of the right of his Godhood. Verse 6. Then Paul speaks of his human nature and said that it was by his own consent that he was made in the likeness of man and took part of our flesh and blood, that he emptied himself of the honors and glory of the upper world and of his formal appearance to clothe himself with rags of human nature. And he became in all things like us. The two states of Jesus are humiliation and exhortation. Here Paul speaks of Jesus' humiliation and say he not only took upon himself the likeness of man, his whole life was a life of humiliation, meanness, poverty, and disgrace. He had nowhere to lay his head. He was a man of sorrow, and he was acquainted with grief. Nor had he any wars of distinction from humans on earth. This is how earthly people treated Jesus. Even though in heaven he was a king then, and he was a king now. But the Lord's death of his humiliation was him dying the death on the cross. He not only suffered, he was obligated to die. And there is upon the matter of his dying which says, Cursed is he that hangeth on a tree, a death accused by the law. Even the death of the cross, a cursed, painful, and a shameful death, full of pain, and the death of a male factor and a slave, not of a free man, exposed to public spectacle. Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my life, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father, John 10 and 18. And now Paul goes on to speak of Jesus' exhalation, and he says the reward of his humiliation. Because he humbled himself, God highly exalted his whole person because he's spoken of his being in the form of God as well as in the form of man. And God raised him to exceeding height, and so the Father himself is said to be exhausted. His um, exhortation here is made to consent in honor and power. God gave him a name above every name, a title of uh, dignity above all creatures, men and angels, and in power every knee must bow to him. The whole creation must be in suggestion to him. Things and inhabitants in heaven and earth and things under the earth, the living and the dead, and every tongue 
should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the name of Jesus, we all should pay a solemn homage. John 17 and 5. And Paul says, It is the glory of God the Father to confess that Jesus is Lord, for it is his will that all men should honor the God Son as they honor the Father. Whatever respect is paid to Christ rebounds to the honor of the Father. He who receiveth him who sent me, he who receiveth me receiveth him who sent me. Matthew 10 and 40 and John 5 and 3. So in verse 12 through 13, Paul flips the script, and he encourages them to work out their own salvation of their own souls. That salvation is the great thing that we should set our hearts and minds upon. And he said that we cannot attain salvation without the utmost care and diligence. And Paul says that it's not for us to judge other people. We have enough to do to look out for ourselves and to be careful to do everything in religion in the best manner. And he compliments them by saying, you have always been willing to comply with every discovery of the will of God that you make it appear that regard to Christ and the curve of your souls sway more with you than any mode of showing respect whatsoever. And because it is with you, God, who worketh in you, works out your salvation in a dependence upon the grace of God. Verse 12. And Paul said that we must work out our salvation as his grace works in a suitable way to our natures. So work out our salvation with fear and trembling for he who worketh in you of his good pleasure. And because there is no strength in us, so there is no merit in us. We cannot act without God's grace, so we cannot claim it nor pretend to deserve it. God's goodwill to us is the cause of his good work in us. And God is under no obligation to his creatures, but to those of his gracious promise. Isaiah 26 and 12. In verse 14 through 18, Paul flips the script again, and the apostle encourages them in these verses to adorn their Christian profession with a suitable temper and behavior by a triple to the commands of God. He says, do it and do not find fault with it, because God's commands were given to be obeyed, not to be disputed, showing that we serve a good master whose service is freedom and whose work is on reward by peace and love to one another. In verse 15, he says, Be blameless and humble as the sons of God without rebuke, and sincere toward God, children of God, should be different from the children of men. When God raises up a good man in any place, he sets a light in that 
So let your light shine before man, that light and immortality are brought to light by the gospel. And it is our duty not only to hold the word of life for our own benefit, but to hold it for the benefit of others. Just as the candlestick holds the candle to shed light all around, so should others also glorify God with the word of life. The gospel is called the word of life because it reveals and proposes to us eternal life through Jesus Christ, which is in verse 16 and also 2 Timothy 1 and 10. Again, he goes on to write concerning how the work of the ministry requires putting forth the whole man. All that is within us has been running and laboring. And he says that running denotes zeal and vigor, while labor denotes consistency. When they have not run or labored in vain, and it will be they're rejoicing in the day of Christ when their converts will be crowned. Converts will be crowned. If the minister loves the people and is willing to spend and be spent for their welfare, the people have reason to love the minister and rejoice in him. And he says that it is the will of God that good Christians should be much in rejoicing and that those who are happy with good ministers have a good deal of reason to rejoice with them. For the same cause, also do you rejoice with me. Promote the honor of Christ and the edification of the church and the welfare of the souls of men, that he could rejoice to seal his suffering with his blood in verse 18. In verse 19 through 30, Paul flips the script again. And he takes particular notice the two good ministers. Though him himself was a great apostle, and he labored more abundantly than them all, he speaks of Timothy, an emperor for Dice, whom he intended to send to the Philippians, but he might have an account of their estate. Now, there were no doubt many good ministers who were in care for the souls of those for whom they preached, but none compared to Timothy, a man of an excellent spirit and a tender heart, who will naturally care for their state. Timothy was a genuine son of the blessed Paul, and he walked in the same spirit and the same steps of Paul through Jesus Christ and the gospel was a man who had been tried and had made full proof of his ministry and was faithful in that that befelled him. All the churches with whom he had acquaintance knew that he was as good as he seemed to be and that he served Christ so as to be acceptable to God and was approved a man. He was Paul's assistant in many places where he preached and he served with him in the gospel 
with all the dutiful respect as a child pays to a father, with all the love and the cheerfulness with which a child is servable to his father. He therefore, Paul said, mm, as I shall see how it would go with me, because Paul was now a prisoner, and he didn't know what would be the issue. He had hoped that he would be soon set at liberty and able to pay him a visit in verse 23. Now concerning Ephrathoditus, whom he calls a fellow soldier, his companion in the work and suffering of the gospel, who submitted to the same labors and hardships with him himself, and their messenger, whom they sent by him to Paul, probably to consult him about some affairs relating to their church or to bring a present for them for his relief, who would minister to his wants. He had an honest desire to come to them, and Paul was willing that he should. When they heard that Epaphroditus had been sick in verse 26, it pleased God to recover and spare him as God had mercy on him. And Paul said, what is given us in answer to prayer should be received with great thankfulness and joy. Verse 27, for he was one whom they had a particular respect and affection that they thought fit to send him to the apostles. And Epaphroditus was willing to pay a visit to the Philippians that he might be comforted with them who had sorrowed with him when he was sick, because it seemed that he had caught his illness in the work for God. So Paul recommended them to receive him before in the Lord with all gladness and to show their joy and respect by all the expressions of heartly affection and good opinion and to hold account such men as valuable who are zealous and faithful, and let them be highly loved and regarded, truly loved Christ, and heartily in the interest of his kingdom, will think it very well worth their while to hazard their health and life to do his service and promote the edification of the church. And Paul says that it is the duty of ministers to care for the state of their apostles and be concerned for their welfare. And he says that it is a rare thing to find one who does it naturally. This ends our Bible study. I pray God's word has shed some light on things for you. I'll see you next time right here at the same time. And don't forget to visit us on Facebook at Peace Keep God First. And don't forget to check in with God from time to time. 24 hours is free. Bless you and keep you until we meet again. Bye.